the funny thing is he introduced me as the Dallas Morning News's Dan Kirk, who also has a podcast called Third Degree, and I was like, shit, Buzz is going to kill me. <laughs> there FC Dallas curious fan welcome to another edition of third degree the podcast hi I'm Peter and we do have our normal trio today the good guys uh joining us is Dan Crook not Crookie it has have an e at the end but it's pronounced Crook hello Dan hello Peter Wheelopton <laughs> I'm calling in from the place with silent e's Awesome. All right. And also our fearless leader, the uh, founder and co-editor of thirddegree.net and from the Dallas Morning News, Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Hello, Peter. Calling in today from Newcastle, where I'm breathlessly awaiting the takeover of the Newcastle United Football Club. Uh, Buzz, my first question for you has nothing to do with our local soccer team. I need to know if you are okay mentally after having to sit and watch the U.S. women's national team once again play with a holding six wearing the number nine. Well, I I do my best to block out uh, the aberrations that exist in the women's national team numbering system. Um, (laughs) There are more than just that one. Uh, She actually did score today, though, so, you know, it's pretty Boy, did she. Mallory P with the two is also bad. I believe they've got an outside back that wears 11. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I can move past that in the sense that I'm thoroughly enjoying the way they're playing. I, I really love the way they were spreading the field today. That was particularly exciting. They're using the a modern 4-3 system. Excuse me, 4-3-3 system. I can articulate that for you. Uh, and it was fun to watch. It's fun to watch them be better than everybody else. They haven't given up a goal, and, and the thing I was worried about, their defense so far hasn't raised that uh, ugly mark, so it looks good. I'm excited. Go USA. I, and and I thought they had an overall good game on a day that Megan Rapino was pretty crappy. Yeah, well, I'm certainly not high on the Megan Rapino bandwagon. I've, I've uh, managed to not get a seat on that at all, and especially at I believe she's 33 now. I'm definitely not on that wagon. Um, for me, she's the role in the ma of the U.S. Women's National Team, which I know some people probably rip me for. But that's uh, a hot soccer opinion, right yeah. there. <laughs> you know, she's <laughs> she's a player crap. that that scores big goals and occasionally gets a really big assist, but many other times um, is a turnover machine and is a black hole in the field. Sometimes I actually think the current four three three system does a really nice job of isolating her high on the wing where she's more effective was she has a quicker path to goal and a quicker path to the box. And that's excellent. When she was in a four, four, two, there was too much defensive responsibility over there. Uh, so this new system actually that they're using, and I, don't, I say new, I don't know how long they've been using it because I'm not an intimate follower of the women's national team, but the four, three, three is actually ideal for her on the left wing. So, um, you know, as far as it goes, her, her negative impact is lessened and her positive impact is amplified and that's terrific and they look great so far i hope morgan uh, alex morgan's fine with her whatever knee problem out there that had her go out of the game i uh i i I, this is going to sound like i'm uh, being creepy old man but i mean this in the same way i say about watching you know professional male players i can't figure out who my bigger soccer crush is on i can't tell if it's tobin heath or uh, kelly o'hara well, mine was Tobin Heath, but now it's uh, Rose. I'm I'm big on the the Rose bandwagon. I, I have a seat in the front row of that one. Yeah, but, she's um, 
she's spectacular, and Tobin Heath is spectacular, and O'Hara's a quality player too. So, but I'm, I'm, for me, it's Rose and Tobin. I, uh, O'Hara just looks like she would run through a brick wall, and Tobin, to a degree, does too. But there's just something about the tenacity uh, at right back that I just, uh, especially in some of those tackles, when she won that slide tackle and just picked up the ball and kept running with it. I, that's my kind of uh, football. So I thought that was great. Dan, are you uh, excited about the premise of a USA-England matchup? And what would you do? Who would you root for? Uh, well, it will be a matchup in the semifinal. Oh, will it? And Yeah, England are playing Cameroon. US are playing Spain, I think. I mean, kind of not difficult games. Well, who would you play? Who, who are you lined up to play after Cameroon then? Because uh, they'll play... US will play France in the quarterfinal. Australia or... Someone else. Oh, 2A. Or... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Anyway, it'll be the semifinal. All right. You're, to- you're talking about through the group stage, probably the two best teams in it. Well, I guess my question for you is, as an Englishman, what is your level of interest in the women's national team? And, and assuming that that is relatively of some level of high, uh, what, do you think they play great football? Are you proud of them? Or do you, is it something you dismiss? What is, I've never heard you talk about them before. Uh, it's a it's a fantastic team. Um, you know, you talked about your soccer crush, mine's Steph Houghton, obviously. Um, I'm really excited for the. Uh, I'm really excited for that potential semi final. Um, excited for a potential quarter final of Australia. Uh, you know, it was really exciting uh, game with Scotland, very closer than it should have been, but you know, um, you know, and coasting past Japan, which uh, multiple time finalist and and winner. Um, yeah. Um, it's kind. Of, it's been a. It's been a bigger story in the UK, really, with uh, since Phil Neville got the job. Yeah, particularly moving over from the men's game into the women's game, there was a lot of well, what grounding does he really have, and and how how well will he do? And so far, he's you know the players love playing under him and. I thought He's they looked in a really nice system. Yeah, I thought they looked really good the other day. Um, I'm very impressed with England so far. In fact, I think they're arguably one of the two or three best teams in the tournament uh, to date. I I think they look uh, really really good. And I should also uh, mention in my list of uh, players I have soccer crushes on. And again, this is based purely on skill and style. Uh, Lindsay Horan is like the Paul Scholes of uh, the U.S. Women's National Team. She's awesome. See, I Boy, thought I'm you were going to have a dilemma then. You were going to say Nikita Paris of England and then be like, oh, she's still a Man City player for a few more weeks. <laughs> no, that's not who I was going to say. Look at this bracket, though. The other half of the bracket is weak. Well, you know, it, it. this is one of those weird things that I've noticed. So somehow France ends up getting to play a third-place team in the first quarterfinal. Now they do end up that means they do end up getting, you know, the United I mean in the first round that means they do end up likely, you would hope so, end up with a the unfortunate France US quarterfinal matchup. It just seems a little too convenient that the host nation gets one of those third round uh teams. And do we know oh yeah. France although they do get Brazil. So maybe that didn't work out in their favor. A France Brazil uh first knockout round game that there's going to be a lot of pressure on France to pull that off. Yeah, I mean uh- I don't know that Brazil's great, but they certainly are dangerous. You know, that's that's not necessarily a walkover. But the other half, uh, Netherlands, Japan, Japan is down. Netherlands looks pretty decent, but Italy, China, that's uh, not that great. Sweden just got wrecked by the United States. Canada's okay. Germany, Nigeria. I mean, uh, the three powers are in, yeah. 
I yeah, the three powers are the the U.S., France, and England so far, and Australia, who uh, should be a power. You know, those are all four in the bottom bracket. It's just ridiculous. Well, I, I would, you'd, you'd argue the Netherlands should probably be the the best team from that half of the bracket. I, I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I you know as tough as the bracket is lined up for the United States, there's a part of me that is glad that way because if in fact they ultimately go through and win this World Cup, at least they can say they did it having to play the most difficult path. Yeah. Um. Because you know, in my eyes, and I'd be interested in Dan's perspective here because obviously it's not his favorite team. Is it? It, it is clear to me they are by and far the best team in the tournament and it's not really close especially when they're like in the first half of today's game uh we're taping this a couple of hours after the u.s uh sweden game uh i man their tenacity and energy and pressing and and on the other end of the field this the ease in which they seem to break and get past the sweden high press the swedish high press i just thought really was quite good today um i was super impressed Unfortunately, I didn't get to watch today's game. Uh, I was uh, dealing with CONCACAF. That was fun. Um, but, you know, I mean... You might, as well, say, we, we you do might as well say getting a colonoscopy. I mean, that would have been more fun. Obviously, we do get the pleasure of having the US Women's National Team in Frisco quite a bit. Uh, unfortunately, against poor opposition, but, uh, you know... We do, get to, we do at least get to see the concepts, even if it is a walkover against amateurs yeah all right well uh it's been fun to watch so far and i guess what they play uh spain on monday is that the is that the the schedule i think that's Monday. Right. yeah yeah 11 a.m yeah. eastern oh central 11 a.m central okay well let's uh refocus on to the ever-growing uh let's see how would i want to say this uh let's let's turn our focus to things of local matters of far more concerning levels, which is uh, Football Club Dallas. Um, this is never a good thing, uh, no matter what the circumstances are. Everybody always freaks out when this happens, and it's not exclusive to the Dallas fan base. It happens to all MLS teams at one point or another. But losing in the Open Cup to a lower division team happened yesterday as Dallas lost to New Mexico United. Uh, two to one, and uh, I only saw bits and pieces of this game, but I knew it wasn't going to go well when the FC Dallas Twitter account tweeted out the most ridiculous tweet highlighting a not even a really good nutmeg on Mikey Barros's, uh, Barrios's part that actually resulted in a turnover, and they were tweeting it like he had just pulled off one of the coolest skill moves of all time. And I knew right there the karmic doom had been placed on the on the result. Yeah, it was not a good display. I, I think I spent the majority of the first half tweeting about uh, the missing intensity, you know, the missed uh, battles that, that New Mexico was beating uh, Dallas players to the ball consistently. I even, I think, tweeted the definition of lackadaisical at, at one moment. Um, you know, not not a game that you want to put on the highlight reel. There just there there definitely was the mentality from the Dallas guys of we're the better team, we're going to win this uh, on display, and the New Mexico guys who, of course, when you play any lower division team, for them it's a it's not their Super Bowl, but it's close to that. It's the it's the game where they're going to show that they've been slighted, that they're all good enough to be in Major League Soccer. They are in effect playing for their careers, trying to prove to an MLS team that they're good. You know, once they might get scouted. So they brought it 100% and they earned that win. And Dallas 
did not and played lackadaisical and made some mental mistakes, one from a 17 year old kid. So we're going to forgive that for the, you know, in terms of his big career, but you know, still lackadaisical performance and uh, Dallas got what they deserve. So, uh, you know, it's got to be better quick because they got to play really fast. It shouldn't come as any surprise, uh, this result, uh, not just because you're playing a, a lower division team that has got a chip on their shoulder and has already done this to another MLS team and has got a bit of momentum on their side, on the road no less. Uh, but we also uh, saw Lucci throw out a starting midfield of the average age of 19 and a half years old. There was an 18-year-old, an 18-year-old, a 20-year-old, and a 22-year-old. And that doesn't mention the fact that your number nine is 16 years old. And a part of that, too, was uh, Jesus Ferreira playing out of position uh, as a number 10. And and he was clearly lost in this game when he ran up against two professional holding mids who bracketed him, and then he had to drop way back to try and find the game or pop out way outside to try and find the game. Uh, and and Cerillo and Cervania, both of whom are young, promising players, neither one of those guys adapted the, if you will, the Brian Acosta linking eight role to go forward and fill in behind the strikers and try and make those danger plays. You know, it was, it was too much Lucci ball, um, consistent, uh, you know, moving the ball around midfield side to side, keep it. We're fine kind of stuff. And, it, and again, it just didn't generate any offensive threat. It didn't generate any attacking moments. It didn't generate any intensity or excitement or, or anything. It was just basically a flat, uh, kick around at the park and, and, and the scoreline reflected it. Dan, how much uh, did you, in watching the game, feel like it was kind of a, a typical cup tie where a major, you know, the the upper level team just is playing down to the level of the lower division team that's come into town? I don't think it was even that. They were playing at a level beneath that. They were playing at, at OKC's level, and that's a step above OKC. Um you know, if that that performance may have sort of squeaked them by a one or two goal win last week, but I mean, you're talking about a team who, you know, also like Dallas is about to have. They had a th- eleven games in thirty three day run, and they kind of run out of steam at the end of it. But saving their last two losses, they were top of the division by a, a good bit. Um, you know, I think there was a. Not an element of disrespect, but some things that maybe shouldn't have been in place. Uh, I'm totally fine with Pepe getting his minutes to, to, you know, ready himself for his future endeavours, and he just didn't get the service. He only had one touch in the in the opposition area. I thought, you know, like last week, Jesus at, at the 10 spot, just it doesn't work. Um, it, it may work in future, but... It's something he's got to have a little more positional awareness and awareness of tracking back, picking up the ball from midfield and, and being that that link. Um, Cerio first came back after sitting on the bench for a couple of weeks uh, with splinters up his ass. He looked tired from the first five minutes and some weeked out 90. Bargy was Bargy. Um, you know, it, it almost looked like, and especially after the goal, that they thought the game was won, let's just stop now. Yeah, you know, I, I part of me in the little bit that I saw of the game, um, uh, what I wonder how much of this is uh, the the cold splash of water in everybody's face that gets excited over this premise of playing the kids, and we need to get all the minutes we can for these kids so that we can improve their game, and how much of this is 
No, these are actually professional athletes who are paid pretty well to various different degrees, and they just didn't have their mind, their head right with ball for this game. Because all I remember in the uh, specific incident that I saw was when the New Mexico, I think he was a defender, maybe a holding mid, literally won a ball in their defensive half and and proceeded to dribble and sprint down the field and hit a shot very nicely that just unfortunately for him, clattered off the upright. Um, and to get there, I watched him literally sprint by five or six different Dallas players who made no attempt to stop him whatsoever. Uh, and, and, and that to me has nothing, has little to do with age and everything to do with attitude. Yeah, that was their center back. I believe I remember that moment too. Uh, that was, that was definitely one of the, the, the moments that opened my eyes and I thought, what, what are they doing? Um, you know, for the most part, there was just a lack of intensity across the board. A lot, as you say, a lack of mental readiness. I mean, when when you lose into a USL side and you only have two yellow cards to their four, and you, you have 15 fouls, which is a little higher than you'd like if you're winning, but you know, when you're losing, you'd think that would ramp up. You know, they they don't, it just wasn't on the night what you would expect to see. Only nine tackles to the other team's eleven. You know, it's just. A lack of something. The only guy I thought that had his game face on was Matt Hedges because I remember five or six times watching him gesture and wave and try and get guys up the field. And Not yell, just play gesture. Out, you know, <laughs> well, Matt he, doesn't he yell actually, very much. He actually shut down uh, their number nine completely, Sandoval, who did not have a single shot on goal. So, in terms of Hedges' individual job, I thought he had a terrific game. The problem wasn't with Matt Hedges. The problem was the rest of the collective team. And I, I thought Hedges actually really tried to get everybody going and just was not at all successful at it. Because as you say, I, I think that this wasn't a question of necessarily just young kids. It was a question of not being ready to play. Maybe the field conditions are bothering you. Maybe it's hot. Maybe you don't like all that stuff. But you got to show up and play in a game or you're going to lose. Because no matter who you're playing in the cup at this stage, you're almost certainly going to be running up against professionals and professionals that have won some games to get this deep into the cup. All right, so Dan, is is this not a great example of something that we've talked about on this podcast numerous times, which is be on the lookout for the fact that you also have a rookie head coach? Definitely. Um, I mean, I, I would say the Thomas Roberts substitution would would be one of those rookie errors, uh, a potentially game-changing player who was only given five minutes. Um, the formation by the end was, I think, Surio at the back with, uh, who was it, Brisson and and Hollinshead, I think. You know, it was the shape was completely lost as the game went on. Uh, I will sort of say to Buzz's point about Hedges, I thought Brisson was was decent as well, uh, considering. Between Sandoval, Freiter, and Santi Moore, they've got like 25 goals between them already this season. Uh, Sandoval's actually the only one that's that's not approaching double figures. Um, you know, to to mostly shut them down, uh, you know, bearing in mind that Kevon Freiter's goal was, was really a defensive mistake that came from out wide and he just had a tap in. That part of it was good, and that was kind of the danger that I thought the team needed to look out for, but they kind of forgot about themselves going forward. I want to, my comment about Lucci is that I, I'm disappointed that he keeps going back to 
the garden snake as an option trying to get these goals late in games when so far you haven't seen any production out of the guy that makes you think that, that he's going to be the answer to that question. I mean, he played, uh, I just had the stat. Hold on. Where'd it go? He played uh, 15 minutes of play. He had zero shots, no defensive registers, no dribbles, no fouls given or received. And he was two for three on his passes. Most of which were short little bang, bang, right back to the guy. So it's like, I, I don't know why we continue to look for a guy who's done nothing as the offensive answer late in games. Well, as well, that's the thing. He's brought in with 15 minutes left as the guy who's going to get the goal. If you go back and look at the average positions, including substitutes, he was the seventh highest line for any FC Dallas player as the striker. Lord. He was, his average position was <laughs> just on the edge of the 10-yard uh, the circle. Did anybody have the gumption to go up to the guy in the stands with the Cobra uh, jersey with the Cobra spelled with K and ask him if that's like the funniest bit in the whole world or is that just the saddest purchase of all time? I did not say anything to him because I didn't. I, I People buy jerseys for all kinds of reasons and, and maybe he was pretty excited about what he thought the guy could bring. But it certainly when I saw it, I thought, oh man, that's a tough uh, wear at this point. Yeah, uh, from Twitter, FC Sans Serif, uh, who is a good fellow, uh, tweeted out this. For me, they look, they look sound overcoached. You can see from time to time that they begin to confuse themselves, and Lucci is on the sidelines sounding like a soccer dad. Um, that's a really interesting, I, I, I think that's an interesting uh, comment. In, you know, this thing that we keep talking about where are we getting is Lucci getting anywhere at this point or are we starting to get into are, are we starting to see in a, in a team that has struggled to win games of late? They've won a couple, right? They beat Oklahoma City recently. They've won an MLS game of late. But overall, in the last eight weeks, it hasn't been the best uh, span of time. Are we seeing a byproduct of a rookie coach still trying to figure out how to do this job, especially? When you see him insist on trying to play Jesus Ferrer as a number 10 when he's got somebody like Thomas Roberts that probably is going to fill that role better. I feel like he's searching for answers. You know, it's been, it's been a couple of months now that we've been talking about um, the disconnect in the final third, you know, how they've, they've reached this high possession stage, but they're not getting uh, the action in the offensive section. And, and since then, you know, and a lot of it has been when Paxton's been gone, you know, and, it, and Paxton being gone exposed the fact that nobody or, and nobody else is doing it, um, whether that be Mascara before he was hurt or whether it be Arangis as a false wing or whether it be Baji or whether it be um, somebody out of the back. And uh, there's maybe something to be said in that he's trying to get guys to do stuff that they don't really do. You know, the idea, some of the, some of the overcoaching for me is trying to use Frey as a different spot or Reynolds's first half reaction where he was playing high possession Lucci ball when, when I want to say to the guy, look, you're, you're on the field because of your game breaking pace and your offensive skills. Like you need to attack the back line and put it under pressure and stretch it and make it fall apart, particularly because, and this Baji didn't do this either because uh, New Mexico spent most of the game playing in a mid block, not in a low block. They didn't do that until late. So they were winning. So there was plenty of space behind that Baji didn't take advantage of it. And Reynolds didn't take advantage of it. Barrios tried to, but, uh, just wasn't effective on this particular night, but at least he got behind there and got balls in. So, you know, they're clearly searching for answers and Lucci's searching for answers. And maybe if he was 10 years into his coaching career, he would, as a head coach, he would have the answers already and be able to implement them rather than be looking for them. But, you know, 
this uh, again, this is, as you say, it's a product of uh, a lesser experienced coach and maybe it's a product of the, the roster not fitting what Lucci wants yet. I, I, I really believe that the, over this next summer and this next winter, which is going to change another five to 10 players out on this team to get what he wants. Well, uh, there was lots of social media last night and today, uh, not surprisingly with the overreaction knee jerk, uh, uh, opinion of that. Of he course. needs to be fired, uh, oh, which that's... would be, which is pretty ridiculous. Obviously, yeah, uh, Dan, yeah. you have an act, you have a really interesting theory. I want to, I want you to talk about, which is the, uh, Hollingshead as a band-aid theory. Uh, explain what you mean by that. Uh, not so much a theory as a as a question. I mean, um, you know, Ryan Hollins has been used as a band-aid for any position where a player's been out for whatever reason. Um, you know, and, and Bobby Warshaw in one of the uh, bits for MLS said that he'd been FC Dallas's best player through the first half of the season on that basis. But you can be... I mean, the old saying is, a jack of all trades, master of none. Uh, Holland's head's not a very good left back. He's not a very good right back. He's not a very good centre back. He's not a very good defensive midfielder. He's not a very, he's not a great winger. And the problem is, you've got, you, you've got better options. Um, you know, you've got like a John, uh, Johnny Nelson. Sorry, I forgot he's now Johnny, not John. Um, it just, it seems like having this security of, oh, if if someone goes down, Ryan can play there. It seems almost like it's a safety net that's just providing false security. Yeah, there's most definitely a comfort level aspect to Lucy's coaching. You know, he definitely goes with the guys that he feels good about. Hollingshead is definitely one of those guys. Asus Ferreira is clearly one of those guys. Uh, he feels obviously much more confident in Surio than he does in Cervania, for example. He obviously feels much more confidence in Paxson than he does in Mosquera or Arangis. So there, there's certainly a level of uh, emotional trust and emotional confidence that he wants out of guys in order to put them onto the field. Oscar was a guy who, Oscar Perea, former coach, was a guy who probably was looking for that comfort from more of a veteran kind of experience, more of a like, I, I'm going to have confidence in you because I know what you've done in your career versus Lucci's comfort level is I'm going to go with you because I know you, because I've coached you before, coached you in the academy, or for some reason with Ryan, have a confidence in your flexibility and your leadership. So um, you know, young coach, that's fine. Comfort level, that's fine. That's all. All managers have their favorites. They all pick guys on who they're comfortable with. It's just a different kind of comfort than we're used to to see a coach have comfort in younger guys for the most part. And 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 Hollingshead's ability to adapt to almost any position on an okay level is probably comforting for a coach who's not 100% confidence in the guys that aren't starting yet. Yeah, and and while I uh, comment on the fact that there are people out there who think he needs to lose his job, and I think that's utterly ridiculous, I don't think it's quite unfair because it was a risky move to hire a guy with so little experience to ask questions about what his management style is or decisions he's making. And to Dan's point, um, while I don't blame him for starting Jesus at the number 10 because, frankly, Jesus played that position we even commented on the podcast last week. He actually played that role pretty well against Oklahoma. Um, New Mexico played him differently, really shut him down. Um, and and it seemed like uh, uh, Lucci's decision to wait until literally the waning seconds of the game or minutes of the game to bring in somebody who could probably play that position better is a highlight of maybe a deficiency he has in figuring out how to coach teams at this level. 
Yeah, the, part of that uh, deficiency for me um, is a transition from academy to the pro, and that in the sense that at an academy level, you want to give everybody a chance, right? It's like you have a lot of talented kids. Some of them maybe have progressed, maybe haven't progressed, and you want to keep rotating them in, even the ones that haven't done it for you yet. You want to keep giving them opportunities to do it. You want to keep giving them opportunities to show. You want to give them opportunities to progress. Well, at the pro level, it is a lot more ruthless than that. It's like if it, we've talked about this before with young players, and Paxton is a good example. Paxton last year, over the last half of the season, he did not do stuff in training that he's doing now. He did not do anything in the training that made you think, boy, I got to get that guy in there. He wasn't showing. He was too inconsistent. He wasn't bringing it. He wasn't doing what he's doing now. So Oscar didn't play him. And now we're seeing with Lucci, who's a younger guy coming out of the academy, he's still giving guys chances. I mean, what has uh, the Garden Snake done? I almost said Cobra. The Garden Snake done to keep earning these opportunities. He's certainly not doing it in training, not when I'm watching. Why is he still getting chances? Why is a guy who is doing it in training, Thomas Roberts, why is he not in there earlier? You know, what, there's got to be some a bit more ruthlessness, I think, in terms of the first team and who's going to play and who's not going to play based on more on what I'm seeing day-to-day-to-day to day to day in training. Dan, it really does shine an interesting light back on the criticism that Perea used to get a lot, which was, man, you are sticking with the same veteran guys that ain't churning out. Why aren't you playing the kids? It really puts an interesting spin in uh, retrospect on the on that criticism. Yeah, it definitely shows that, you know, it, it, it splits it. You know, some... Like yeah, the examples of Paxton and, and Ferreira when he's up front and not at ten, um, you know, you, you you if you persist with young players, they will grow, they will learn, uh, and in other cases, you know, uh, well, we're, uh, there's still the same questions being asked at other times. Uh, I mean, I'm sure if. Pepe wasn't on a North Texas contract and was on a, an FC Dallas contract. You would have seen people said, ah, oh, this kid's not that good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I know opinions are like assholes and all of that, but those same questions are going to exist regardless. Yeah, we'll talk more about Pepe here in a second. I do, uh, I do wonder, uh, Edwin Cerillo uh, kind of appeared for the first time for the club in quite a while. Uh, yesterday, and he didn't look very sharp. And this was one of the things I was wondering during the whole U U twenty tournament, which was: here's a kid that was in fantastic form, killing it for his club team, leaves to go play f- uh, in a tournament with the national team, gets zero minutes, and now has to has been sitting for I don't know, has it been three weeks? Uh, and now has to pop into a game. And I'm wondering how much of what we saw yesterday is uh, a result of of the fact that he hasn't played in forever. Well, Edwin spoke openly about how he lost fitness uh, with the U20 team. And uh, and we're speaking of like your game fitness, your 90-minute fitness. Yeah. We don't mean he got he fat didn't, or anything. But, he didn't get a beer belly? You know. He didn't go to yeah, check no. out the water? He didn't do his own <laughs> yeah. uh, buzz version water of research? Water, water no. burger research? No. I no, guess I got not. that covered. I'm no. on the water burger beat. I got it. Good. Uh, Thank you, Buzz. No, he, he's You're good. You're a hero. Yeah, I do what I can. I, I'm here for the people. Um, no, he, obviously he means game fitness, but blame sharpness. But it was very clear that was that happened and we saw the reports from i believe it was doyle that that he had a bad scrimmage and then had some bad training experiences and he was i think two, almost two years younger than almost everybody else in that team probably wasn't feeling super comfortable and i think it's affected him i i wonder now there is value of course in going to an international tournament and experiencing the game at that level experiencing the whole thing but i wonder if in this particular case if he wasn't harmed more 
by that that tournament than he will gain from that tournament, at least in the short term of this season, because that was not the same player that we saw before he left. Before we were talking about a guy who could easily fill in for Grezzo as a single six. And then that game last night, he struggled as a dual six with Cervania next to him. Now, granted, Cervania is a six eight kind of player, and you want to see more eight out of um, Surreal when he's in that spot with him. But so maybe it's a formation that's not quite right. But nonetheless, that is not the same player that left here a month ago. I think sometimes you have to, there's, you know, you can dissect it any which way, but there's, there's two main things. He was robbed of MLS minutes. That's, that's, that's undisputable. And he's, you know, he talked about the training regimen in Poland, which is great, but then to come back and play 90 minutes in the, you know, it was what, 97 at 7 p.m. last night? The heat index uh, in that area at kickoff was 107 degrees. Big yeah, change from Poland. Yeah, that's pretty tough. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's move up uh, the field a little bit and uh, give a couple of minutes to Ricardo Pepe, and we'll talk a little bit about the hot rumor that you uh, le- you discussed on Twitter um, yeah. earlier in the week. But let's, you know, this is two games in a row. We've seen him play the number nine position. I'm pretty sure you can count the number of times he touched the ball in both games on two hands. Where are we on uh, poor Ricardo's 16-year-old Pepe? Well, we're the same place we were before, um, which is, you know, when you watch him play with FC Dallas, you have to take into your head how young he is and how inexperienced he is. And, and the things that are super positive are his work rate, his positioning, his off-ball running. Um, he does everything that you need out of a uh, senior adult men's professional nine, and he's not yet that he's a kid you know he hasn't he hasn't grown into his body he hasn't filled out he's not strong enough yet but uh you get excited about all the raw things that are there now in this current fc dallas system any nine that they are playing so far has struggled to get the ball on net at all because they're just not getting enough opportunities jesus is the best one because he's probably the most clinical finisher of that group currently so pepe is a project he's a long-term project if they do sign him and we'll get to that in a minute if you do sign him It's going to be because they feel he can contribute more to the first team now than it is than somebody they have, uh, their other choices that they have. So they obviously think highly enough of him that they're even considering it. And whether he plays a lot is going to be an interesting question because it may be that they're looking to sign him. uh, Well, we'll come back to it. Let's stick with the concept at hand right now. Was, Was his performance good? Well, the signs are all there, but no, in terms of its production, it wasn't happening. So I understand completely why he was taken off in favor of getting Baji up there at the front of the formation, because up until that point, uh, New Mexico had left some room behind. And so the chances to to get stuff were going to be with Baji getting in behind, but then Baji didn't get in behind. And so it didn't work. But overall, uh, Pepe is what what we know he is. And the future's still super bright, and I thought it was an overall really positive performance from him, despite the fact that he didn't score. So let's talk about the uh, Pepe rumor while we're uh, in this uh, space. So you, uh, well, well, Buzz, I'll yeah. just let you tell the story. Well, I got um, a couple of reports from people that I trust uh, implicitly that he and his family were up at Toyota Stadium and that they met with Dan Hunt. And not only they met with him, but they met with him in the glass 
conference room, which has got all the, some trophies and some jerseys and stuff in the background. This is where they always do the meetings and the photos when a player signs a contract. Now, I went to my other sources and tried to find confirmation that he signed, which I could not get. So I was left with this concept of, well, do I report this news or not? And in the end, I decided to report uh, what I knew, which was literally that he and his family were up there and all the signs are the kind of meetings that they have when a kid signs. So sitting in the sitting in the glass conference room yeah. is always traditionally where they sit when they when yeah. they do that. Yeah, they sit at the, at the table and they take pictures and they have the whole family there and they hold up a jersey and they sign the contract. You've seen this over the last three or four seasons now. You've seen it thir- uh, fifteen to twenty times with academy guys. You've seen it with the pros. They sign. This is what they do with everybody. So all the signs are that this ceremony, if you will, happened. Uh, we just yet to have any confirmation of it, you know, it, so it's the kind of thing that would usually put me in the right direction to dig some news out. <clears throat> Pardon me. I just haven't been able to dig the news out. So I went back and forth on whether I should report it or not, because this isn't a rumor. This is an actual factual piece of information. So I went back and forth on whether I should go with just that information. And I decided that I would, um, because of the fact he was also again, playing and starting in the open cup game. And, and all the signs are that they're, experimenting with him with the first team to see how it goes. So um, I felt pretty good about putting it out, even if it's not confirmed at this point that that is indeed what's happening. Okay. So let's run under the theory that uh, Pepe is signing a pro deal uh, for FC Dallas and, and, and buzz you've indicated that actually there's some logic to that because it allows them to move him back and forth from North Texas to FC Dallas more easily than they can now. Correct. Yeah, because of the mechanics of how hard it is to get a player onto the MLS roster, you can't, excuse me, you can't bring a guy up for one game for MLS regular season play. Um, because of what they, they have this rule uh, called the um, uh, hardship rule, we have to have a, under 14 uh, field players available, and that's not the case. So you can't just sign him for a game or two. You have to either, you have to 100% sign anyone, whether it be, from North Texas, and in this case, Pepe specifically, to a complete end-of-the-season homegrown contract. Of course, once you do that, you can use them for a game or two or whatever you want, and then you can loan them back to North Texas like Dante Seeley is for the rest of the season if you so choose. So if they were to sign him, it would give them a flexibility to use them in any MLS game they wanted to, and then they can loan him back to North Texas, and he can play in any game in North Texas that he wants to. So um, it's pretty clear uh, that that would make the mechanics easier because the mechanics the other way are virtually impossible. Okay, so with that knowledge in mind, now let's juxtapose that to uh, overly enthusiastic Dan Hunt making an appearance on Mike Ducey's Free For All uh, the other night. Uh, and <laughs> Oh my gosh, yeah. there's, there's so much to unpack from his appearance on that show <laughs> in terms of uh, this look that he's decided to go with, uh, the fact that uh, it's, it's insane. It's really, it's like the anti Jerry Jones. It's really, really weird. Um, in its own right, maybe the right thing to do. I don't know. I'm still trying to figure it out, but the meat and the real, uh, talking point out of Dan's appearance on the show was that he has, uh, continued to proclaim that there are two or three players coming in in this upcoming transfer window. We'll talk about the players that he has admitted are leaving in a second, but if we find out that there are two, three, two or three players coming in, and one of those is a 16-year-old number nine, 
that's gonna that's starting to create a problem i think within the fan base am i am i wrong or are we excited that this is the result uh the resulting announcement well i'm excited but if you compare that to austin this week saying they're going to go 100 percent hardcore to get chicharito you could see why the uh, the average fan base might be upset um I think it's true that if he says two or three players, I think he's one of those players for sure. And Lucci has said that is that uh, will be an a non academy player necessarily. Will be a North Texas player. Um, and we've talked before about the idea that it would be a player that they feel could contribute. They're very adamant about that. It's not just going to be come up and hang around. It's like you got to be able to play. And so clearly they've been testing Pepe, and clearly that's one of the possibilities. And I think it's going to be what's going to happen. So. Outside of that, then when he says two or three, that means that one of those will be in the North Texas guy, probably Pepe, and then there'll be two or three other signings that'll replace either the two or three players that are departing. No, no, um, no, because- no, no, no. It means there will be one or two other signings, not two or three. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're right. okay. I, I, I've been articulating that. And when Dan because Hunt, one of them wait, will hold be on, a- and hold on, and when yeah. Dan Hunt says, and when Dan Hunt gives you an option, I generally tend to go with the latter as what <laughs> will actually happen. Yeah, and and you can foresee us a scenario where we get to the end of July, and what we end up with is, I don't know what one is, but two is a 16 year old kid. Yeah. And I, I, and that's not going to cut it for the rest of this season. And maybe that, maybe there's no reason to. And again, I've made the, I've made the accusation that I think this team, uh, has given up on the 2019 season a long time ago, that they're using this as a rebuilding season. Uh, That's a fair take. Uh, You know, I, I, I think a little bit of the two or three has to do with the, um, balance of the one or two going outbound because, um, one thing Lucci's been talking to me about for most of the season is that in regard to the window is that how many players they might have to go out and get will depend on how many players are leaving. So um, some of that may be the equivocation of we're not hundred percent sure who we're selling yet, but I agree with you. I think that I think that I think that they've been working on one player in particular, not, not an identified player in particular, but a position in particular, and that's the left wing. And then beyond that, I think that who they will go for, beyond a North Texas player will depend on who they sell. So if, if if there's one player outbound, then there'll be one player inbound. If there's two players outbound, then they'll try and get a second player inbound. None of which counts the one guy from North Texas they're going to promote because they already have two open roster spots that they've been prepping for this uh, all along. Now, the one thing that gets a little complicated is that um, you have to, in order to bring somebody up from North Texas, you're more than likely talking about a homegrown deal, which means it's more than likely on the off-budget roster, which means somebody has to be promoted up. So there's a lot of roster dancing that has to happen, but there's plenty of space with the two open roster spaces. And then, and they also just loaned out two guys to uh, Austin, which opens up two spaces. They got plenty of international slots. So they're clearing the deck to do multiple moves. Um, The question is going to be with this new regime, Andre, the the TD is new. Um, Marco Ferruzzi is new in his position. Lucci's new. You know, the the scouting is all new. Dan is new. Dan is relatively new. He's been there a couple of years now, but, um, you know, they're going to have to perform and this is going to be a big, this is the first big test where it's clearly on the new regime. Some of the old ones, you may be like, what was it? Muzi? Was it Fernando? You know, now it's on these guys and this is going to be a big judgment here of what they do in this window because Dan is talking about it a lot. All right. So now let's shift focus to his, uh, proclamation that they are 
selling or there are two players leaving. And to quote him, one to Europe. Now, you and I have had a couple of conversations about this. Um, Who do you think the two players are? My instincts are that uh, one of them is Grezzo. And I've actually felt that for about uh, a year and a half now. And I specifically now, it occurred to me that I think Grezzo is going to go to Zolos with Oscar because uh, they need a holding mid and Oscar loves him some Carlos Grezzo. And that's a, a, a team with enough purchasing power that I think that they could come in and get him. Um, and then the other one I think is the one I've been saying all year is that I think Byron still likes Thomas Roberts enough and they'll come in for him, um, which is the player to Europe part. So those are the two that make the sense to me. And I imagine that the up or down of are we going to do it or we not do it actually is going to be with Grezzo and they're going to wait and see if the offer is big enough to sell him to Oscar at, at Zolos or not. So I'm going to throw you an odd wrench out there. And I know I've been running the Thomas Roberts, Thomas Roberts train to uh, uh, Germany because that does seem obvious. But what if we find out that the two players out actually go something like this? Carlos Grezo goes back to a team in Germany where, by the way, he was a pretty successful player for German teams in the Bundesliga um, uh, for, and, had, and has some experience there. And maybe there's some interest in him returning there. And the player also leaving isn't Thomas Roberts, but it's Michael Barrios going to Zolos to rejoin Oscar Perea. Because we do know Barrios has in the past uh, discussed his interest in playing in Liga MX. And that seems like a really interesting fit because do you, have you heard the news of who Oscar Perea just sold off recently? One of his wingers, somebody, some guy named Fabian Castillo. Yeah. Castillo just left. That's right. I had forgotten that. Uh, I do remember it from earlier in the week that he's gone. Yeah. That, that actually is just as much of a viable option as, as a uh, Grezzo. I mean, they needed, they needed a holding big kind of help, but now that they've lost Castillo, they probably need a Barrios kind of help. And you know that Oscar has a phenomenal relationship with Michael Barrios. Both of those deals make sense. Maybe it's both of them. Yeah. Gone now. You know, I, mean, I, it's, I, I hope I'm wrong in this, in this scenario, because if that in fact was to be true, you could make the argument that this team that is struggling at this point of the season just sold off its two most veteran and arguably best players on the team again in July. Uh, yeah. Um, well, you know, this is that's the new mantra, right? This is a developmental team. They're going to bring in guys at a younger age and they're going to develop and sell them for a lot of money. That's the way it's going to be around here from now on. Um, it's, it'll be a shame and it, and, it, and it will be indicative, I think, that there really are at this season washing their hands of this team. I actually have felt for a couple of months now that Lucci is dissatisfied with his roster. He hasn't said that to me specifically. It's just a vibe I get when I talk to him that he doesn't quite have the players that he wants. You know, they're good players. It's just not fitting what he wants to do necessarily. So I felt like this summer and more specifically this winter, he was going to turn over another five or six players. Uh, You know, maybe you're right. Maybe it's, not that you don't think that both of those players aren't phenomenal. And as you say, they're two of the best players you have, but it would not strike me at all as, 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 as a possibility. Uh, The key is one one of the things that one of them is Grezo is your defensive uh, cat. I mean, he literally is the, the, the linchpin to being strong defensively uh, from the midfield. And the other one is essentially the only dangerous player in attack on the field consistently. Yeah, it would it would be a train wreck in terms of this season if your if your combination is indeed what happens. One of the things that they like to preach these days um, is the idea that they have a plan ready 
for whatever happens. If they have to sell a guy or if the price makes them sell a guy, that they have a plan in place, they know who the option is, they know what they're going to do. That doesn't mean necessarily that the option is going to be great, but at least it makes me confident that there there is some foresight happening. They're not just completely rolling the dice on all this stuff, at least as a coaching staff. Um, gosh, your, your, your version gives me the, the shivers. I'm, I don't want to think about what it would cost if they sold Barrios. It better be for a phenomenal chunk of money because he is your entire offense uh, over the last two months. I mean, now that Paxton's back, that's going to help. But yeah. if you lose Barrios, he's killing it again. It's well, just terrible. The, the, I, when, when you tell me that you think the inbound player is a left wing, that just makes me insane because this team has like a billion guys in theory that should be playing that position, including one they got last year in Santiago Mascara, who's turned out to be essentially yeah. not worth much more than Dominic Baji, who doesn't play that position very well. Um, and so we just keep banging our head on our wall on the wall, uh, signing ineffectual players players at key positions number nine wing players yeah and, and so the the one of the things that i saw a lot of last night is this uh comment and and you know and buzz i blame you for this frankly dude Uh-oh. it this is your fault you're the one that started the whole iax uh uh comparison and the <laughs> no i did not uh you totally did you you were the one that at least either either that or you heard dan hunt say it and you went well yeah. they think they're the mls version of Ajax. Let me make yeah. something very clear. FC Dallas is not Ajax. They're not even close to Ajax. In fact, I would say it's even further apart than it would take you to walk from Frisco to Amsterdam. Um, Ajax is a 100-year-old club that has won their league 34 times and last year spent more money in transfer dollars than every other Eredivisie club combined. So, yeah. I Dan Hunt and everybody from FC Dallas should shut up about being like Ajax and all fans should stop trying to make that comparison either in a good way or a bad way because they're not even close in any way, shape or form. Thank you. That's yeah, the I end of my that. rant. I, you're, you're on point with that. I, I, uh, I first said that they, oh, they want to be Ajax when, when uh, about two years ago when Dan Hunt said they, that their dream is to win MLS cup with an entire team of homegrowns. So you did start area. it. Well, I, I started talking to people like you, you or to a coach or to, you know, and then shortly after that, maybe within about six months of my first having that thought process and maybe saying it a couple of times, Dan Hunt said it out loud, like at a press conference that that's what they want to be is they want to be ice. And so, Dan, so now, Hunt, Dan Hunt thinks Pearl they, Jam was a garage band. So I know, but since he said that, that's why now I say openly, I say, Oh, they want to be IX. I don't, I don't say that they are IX. I, I say that jokingly when I, when people talk about IX doing something, I joke, Oh, it's the FC Dallas of Europe, right? Because that's their stated goal to be IX. I don't actually think they're IX, obviously. <laughs> that's but that's what they want to be, you know. And it's like, who am I to tell Dan Hunt that he can't do it? You know, I mean, all we do is sit here and tell you that they're not doing it so far. But that's what they want. And so if you think, if you think for one second that their plan isn't to do that, isn't to build with kids from inside, isn't to buy young and sell high, you know, then I don't know what you're watching. I don't right. mean you. I mean people in general. That's clearly the plan, right? So but, it's like you know. But Dan, I can't tell you that it's happening. 
but Dan, and, and you can see this wave building. Am I not correct in this? That fans are starting to, all the fans who were on board with the play the kids, hire the guy from our own system, and let's make this a, our own special niche space, th- that the overall kind of attitude and mood uh, of uh, enjoyment, or the, the overall kind of sense that this is really what we should be doing is starting to quickly wane in patience uh, with the fan base. Am I wrong? about that uh no i think that's that's entirely correct um you know the, the player kids movement was definitely highly popular until uh you know in, until it met some adversity uh now fans are getting a bit impatient there's been a couple of extreme cases where people have suggested walking out of the the game on the weekend I don't foresee that happening. Oh, no, it's that would just a couple of extreme <sighs> cases. That would I would be very disappointed in those people because if suddenly after half a season you decide like where were these people when uh when the club was making a big deal out of signing uh on, however you pronounce this lesson apparently the i've been pronouncing snake. uh i've been pronouncing it wrong all this time the bald <laughs> guy from czechoslovakia with the giant cobra tattoo on his back um like where are the are the people who were threatening walking out the same people that went to the airport to greet that loser mm, i hope not <laughs> um i mean you know unfortunately when it comes to sign-ins if the team makes a big deal out of it you make a big deal out of it right and you know, no, you fairness. don't make no, no, you don't make a big deal out of it because it didn't take anybody with a degree in soccer knowledge to know that he probably wasn't a a very good uh, fit for this team or this league. No, I mean he was a player who had a, an incredible six months out of a, an entire career. Um, but you know, it's I mean, a supporter is supposed to support the team right through thick and thin, and you know, in the good times. Fans definitely overhype the smallest of achievements and the smallest of of uh, of events, and then unfortunately, you know, a rainy day comes along and like, oh, it's too wet to go to the stadium. It's too hot to go to the stadium. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm sorry I went on my rant about that, but I I saw a lot of that last night, and um, uh, I I just I just want everybody to stop making the IX comparisons, either pro or con, because it they just it's not a good analogy. Well, when the, when the team owner states that that's what they want to be, it's a hundred percent within the parlance of those of us that do what we do to question whether that's happening or not. You know, and if they if they're going to talk about that and be that's what they want it to be, then you know I don't blame people for grasping onto that. All right. So the schedule, and this is my question because I haven't even looked at it yet, uh, it is potentially the good news uh, in the loss is that does it finally, does that clear up a little bit of July for this team now uh, that, they, uh, that, that was already overstuffed? Do they now uh, eliminate the chance of having to play another game in the month of July and they only have one, two, three, four, five, six games? Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, six games to be played. Uh, it, it takes out one of the potential midweek games, the one that would have come between uh, the Zolos game and the Minnesota game. So it eliminates that. It's unfortunate you have the Zolos game in there because then you would have had a week and a half off. But, yeah. you know, you got your 4th of July game against D.C. And then that right after that, you have Zolos or Cholos, if you like to pronounce it with a Spanish accent. 
And then you would have had the cup game midweek and now you don't, but you still got to go to Minnesota, you know, a week later. So at least that's a normal sort of Sunday, Saturday transition. It's the, it's the one, two, they still have three midweek games between now and then, uh, which is a little rough, but it's not nearly as bad as it was. Yeah. They have Toronto coming up now on Saturday and then they go, uh, and then they have Vancouver in town the following Wednesday and then they follow up and have to travel to Portland to play the Timbers on Sunday. And and I guess it's now is a probably a good time to uh, talk about what to expect on Saturday. They've got some of their players back. They don't have everybody back. Um, but where where is is this a team mentally prepared? And is Lucci the right? Is Lucci in a position to figure out how he gets his team back on track uh, against Toronto? Who is also going to be missing player like Michael Bradley, for example, and Josie Altidore? Yeah, I, obviously, I think uh, after that midweek cup game, you're going to see a response of whatever he considers to be his first choice team at, at this point. If Jesse Gonzalez is fit, he'll go. Well, we don't know if he is. That's a big question. Ziegler will be back in there for Brisson. Hollings will be at left back. And at this point, with Nelson Hurt, you're almost certainly going to see Reynolds again at right back, which I'm okay with, actually. You know, and you're going to be left with hopefully Jagori Hayes will be back and, and certainly Paxson will be in there. So you'll get a, you probably end up with Cerillo as your uh, other midfielder just because he at least is a pure six versus uh, trying to play a Cervania Hayes combo, which actually worked pretty well against Oklahoma City, but I don't know about doing that against an MLS side. And then you're going to get Barros and you're going to get Ferrer up top. And then I don't know what you're going to get at the left wing. Baji was pretty horrid. I mean, maybe Mascara could be back. We don't really know. He's walking around. He's running around. He's doing a lot of strength work. So maybe that's in the cards. Maybe Arangis can get in there again. I mean, I, is, it, is point, Arangis back? Yeah, he was on the sideline last night on the ah, bench. Okay. He didn't play. But, you know, by all reports, he had a pretty decent uh, Toulon tournament. So maybe he'll be back in there. Maybe he'll play him as a false swing again or something. Yeah, that would be a, a really nice story to see him come back and play at the level and form he played for uh, the under twenty threes uh chilean under 23s in france so yeah uh that that would be well the problem with that would be in france he played mostly on the wing and was like a 60 minute sub in in uh most of the games well that's uh, maybe if he'd been playing on the wing and he was in good form at the wing then maybe that's where he needs to be playing for dallas well if paxton back arangis won't be the 10 anyway it'll be pomical and but maybe Maybe Arangis will get a chance to be that false swing again. And as Dan says, he has played well there. And that is where he played well down in uh, Chile before he came up here. So, you know, maybe we can be optimistic and give the guy a chance again. I mean, he's never done anything in 20 games. He hasn't produced a single point, stat, whatever. So we're, we're grasping at straws at this point, which is to get back to the transfers. That's why, why do you think I keep talking about them getting a left wing? It's because every left wing they have so far option has been terrible. Yeah, I think overall, uh, I, I, the thing that I really feel is important is to try to reset everybody's uh, expectations and attitude about the team and not let everybody uh, turn into freakout mode and be unhappy and bitch about the situation because this isn't anything that none of us, um, if anybody that was paying attention, this was all pretty obvious, uh, leading up to the season, they had a huge turnover in the front office, huge turnover in the, st- in the coaching staff, um, 
huge turnover in the roster. And all of those turnovers led to people with very low amounts of experience. So these are all parts of growing and becoming better in the long term. And yeah. uh, and that's really what we're seeing a byproduct of. And maybe the pitchforks and the the torches and everybody screaming for people to get fired um, is really unnecessary at this point. And just reset yourself, right? Well, we've been talking about this since before the season started, and we talked about it the last couple of weeks too. Is that this team is exactly where we all predicted it would be, right? Between five and seven, or maybe you even had them at eight, I think, at this point. And in, in your list, you know, Dallas consistently is. Uh, putting out a team that is in the, despite the fact that right now it's all horrid, right? Well, they're still in the top five in the playoffs in the West. I mean, you're not Orlando, you're not FC Cincinnati, you're not New England is never in anymore. You're not Colorado has been terrible for five years now. It's like, it's, it's bad. Like in this moment, it's bad. They lost a USL team, but this is exactly what we expected. It's exactly where we thought this team would be. They're going through the exact growing pains. We thought they would have young players, young coach, young staff, Everything's new. Everything is rebuilding, transitional in style of play, transitional on the roster. It's just going to have some growing pains. You have to bear with it for a little bit of time. But in the long run, they got a lot of young, talented players, and they're going to be a consistently quality product uh, for the rest of this season. Maybe not going to challenge for LAFC for the top of the league, but you know, everybody in the end gets eliminated from the Open Cup except for one team. Everybody loses eventually. New Mexico is one of the best USL teams there is. Is the the big complaint about the game was the lack of intensity from Dallas, who thought they were going to walk over him. They shouldn't have. Nature of a young team, nature of a young coach, nature of a team in pro, in the middle of a transition. It's exactly what we expected. Well, I think that's a pretty good summation of the events of yesterday and the season so far. And I've just been notified via chat that Dan has left the podcast. Oh, that's too bad. He said he had to run off. Well, I know he does have a. A big uh, fancy engagement at seven that he had planned oh. well in advance. With a lady friend, maybe? Uh, I assume so, but I did not ask. Oh, all right. Well, hopefully, uh, good luck to Dan tonight and whatever fancy occasion he's off to. Uh, anything else that you would like to touch on, Buzzard, before we uh, part ways? Uh, I think we've burned through most of it. I, I do want to say, though, overall, I think the, the podcasts have been um, going pretty well. Um, I've had several people mention to me uh, lately how much they've enjoyed them. And so uh, I'm glad everybody's liking them. Um, if you do like them, make sure you subscribe, hit the button, all that stuff. Give us a review. You know, we're trying to make this thing have a little traction. Um, and I think it's going pretty well. I hope everybody's enjoying it. And we're going to try and bring in when we have guys, when Ann has to be out or I have to be out, we're going to try and have some more guests on down the line because uh, I think those have gone well, really well, too. But um, just overall, I'm happy with where this podcast is, and I hope that people enjoy it. Well, that was spontaneous. I'm glad you like it. I like it too. <laughs> well, thanks. I'm glad you like it since you're taking part. It would be bad if you hated it since you're the, the host of the thing. Look, you and I have talked about this numerous times. I, I've always thought doing a podcast specifically about this club would be interesting. Um, it, it, fits what my wheelhouse is which is broadcasting it makes sense i love you know i don't mind doing it i i just wish this club was more popular so that more people would listen to it i i find that disappointing um and 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 maybe to be fair that's a byproduct of uh, the quality of the podcast but i think our class is better than that and 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 i will tell you i will tell people that you've actually been suggesting to me that we do a podcast since the early 2000s and for a long time we just felt like there wasn't the audience with FC Dallas and maybe there wasn't quite the audience with podcasting, but there's, there's some other podcasts out there that show that at least it was available on some level. 
And I think that like when I look at the numbers, we're actually getting slightly better numbers than a lot of our posts on uh, Dallas Morning News get. So, oh my God. Uh, you I know, don't want to talk about the traffic on the yeah. Dallas Morning News page. Well, that is abysmal. You know, it is the nature of the market. It is the nature of the team. So, you know, as you and I have talked about many times, my philosophy is we do the best we can with what we have. This is how we support the beautiful game. We cover this team legitimately and professionally. We have since 1998 or since the end of 1997. So we do what we do. And someday we hope that the team is popular enough that things will become more popular for all of us. But in the meantime, we try and treat it professionally and we try and do a good job. We hope people like what we do. Until we have 50,000 people every week listening to this (laughs) podcast, I will not be satisfied. That's okay. We're never going to get 50,000, but we, thank you for your support. We may have a very high percentage of that number so far, but that doesn't satisfy me. Um, yeah. So uh, 49,999 is not 50,000. That's right. That's yes. right. We, we right. need that. So uh, just consider the listenership of this podcast somewhat equitable to the average attendance of an FC Dallas home game. Yeah, there you go. Yep, yep. All right, Buzz, once again, well, thanks to Dan for participating for three quarters of the podcast. Um, and uh, hopefully he's uh, having a good date tonight and uh, whatever he hopes happens actually happens. And uh, Buzz, thank you for your time. And thank you, good FC Dallas Curious fan. We'll talk to you next time on another edition of Third Degree, the podcast.